Welcome to Harper Academic Calling. Our podcast is designed to give educators, students, as well as every reader, a behind-the-scenes chat with a range of our authors, from well-loved favorites to up-and-coming debut writers, about their books. Thanks so much for having me, Michael. You're welcome. Uh, so the first question I want to ask you, um, so this is a book about rural America, and obviously there are going to be comparisons made to books like Hillbilly Elegy. Um, so what, what do you make of those kinds of comparisons? So I, I honestly, Michael, feel good about any comparison because I think that anything that is talking about the different perspectives on rural America is a win for everyone. I think that there is um, often uh, a set of misconceptions um, or stereotypes about rural America that uh, is based in sort of taking a cursory look. Um, And the more that we have out there that examines rural life again, with different lenses uh, and uh, with different points of view, then the the better it is for the broader conversation about that big swath of our country. One of the things that really sets this apart um, is that you're focusing on these girls, these young women um, in Down East. So how did you, how did you, there are five girls in the book that you profile specifically. How did you come across these specific girls and decide that, you know, these were the ones that you really wanted to focus on? That's a great question. So I, I started uh, this journey um, toward these girls and towards writing down east uh, by really taking a step back and uh, thinking a little bit about the, the rural experience versus the urban experience, which was something I was much more familiar with. I'd spent uh, many years, um, I was born and raised in Brooklyn and uh, I came from an immigrant family and, uh, big Greek family that that um, was all city based and uh, really focused in on uh, public policy and education, but mostly with an urban lens. Um, But sort of family brought me to more rural places. uh, And my husband and I resettled from New York uh, quite a while ago to New Hampshire and the far coastal reaches of Maine. Uh, and it was there that I sort of piqued my interest um, and zeroed in on the rural lens. And what I found was that my personal lens and my professional focus, uh, as they reoriented, I began to see something a little bit different from what I was hearing about 
particularly that dominant downbeat narrative of, of rural America. And it was very much at odds with my lived experience. So that is what brought me to the girls. Um, I sat down with a, a, a local friend in Maine, a reverend named Scott Planting, who was then head of a nonprofit that worked quite a bit in Washington County, Maine, where this book is set. And he said, you should just go up the road there about an hour from our home in Southwest Harbor, Maine, and take a look around and talk to some folks. He, he introduced me to the local principal and school superintendent there. And he said, what you'll find might be very surprising to you. And he was right. I sat down, thanks to uh, the principal really opening her doors and sat down with a number of students, did a variety of focus groups with them informally and found that as I began talking to these kids, I was struck by how much the girls were excelling and in many ways surpassing a lot of the young men, a lot of the boys in academics, sports, arts, and overall general ambition and leadership. And I thought, there's something going on here. So of those groups of informal focus groups, I um, zeroed in on uh, a number of girls who I thought taken together were broadly representative of girls in that region. And the five who agreed to sit down with me and, and gave me the gift of their time and their stories and opened their lives to me uh, were those five that ended up being the key protagonists in this book. There's, um, there's a quote you have in the book that I actually wrote down because I thought it spoke to your, um, your point that you just made so well about the, the women in this culture. Um, you say, in this seemingly male-dominated culture, local girls were kicking ass, which I think <laughs> sums that up so greatly. It does. It actually, it, it, um, thank you for saying that. And I'm smiling hearing it because I can hear the voices of not only those girls, but of this group of fierce women in the best sense of the word, uh, saying uh, those very words, you know, we're kicking ass here. And uh, they just are so extraordinary, not only in and of themselves, but this, this, lineage of grandmothers, right? Great grandmothers to grandmothers, to mothers, to daughters who are so strong and so proud and so much right there with the boys uh, in every respect and so central to the community. One of the characters that I really loved reading about outside of these five girls um, was Britt who winds up being a teacher in the school. Um, and one of the things that really, that I thought was important about her was how she unleashed creativity in her students. Um, so I wonder if you could talk a little bit about the importance of the arts and creative expression in poor overlooked communities like these. Yeah, Britt is uh, an extraordinary uh, woman, mentor and teacher. And she, as with so many of of these teachers, not, not just art, but in so many ways, right? In so many, in so many avenues and areas, uh, she just serves such a central role as a mentor 
and, and guide and role model to these young women and to, to, to young men and women uh, at the school at Naraguegas where this, where this is set. The notion about the arts that you keyed on, in on is so critical, right? We, we know from the research, right? We also know from common sense and experience how much arts, music, uh, and sports, uh, these key, what we call sort of out, out, outside of the core academic, uh, but truly central and core in so many ways, uh, these key pieces are to not only children's and young people's growth academically, but perhaps just as importantly to their social and e emotional growth, uh, to their ability to unleash creativity, to think about things and look about things, look at things in different in different ways and with different perspectives. And in Britt's case, um, so interestingly, the way in which she was able to give these kids a lens that was so much wider to a worldview that they hadn't seen before by bringing them into the mind and hearts of artists by allowing them to express themselves through different genres. Uh, and I, one of the things that she did and still does to this day, in fact, it's, it's coming up again in just a couple of weeks is there was a local art gallery um, called Scudic Gallery in one of the towns that this, that this uh, book takes place in, a town called Millbridge. And every year, the art gallery opens its doors to uh, an art exhibit of the students at Naraguegas High of Brits students. And they do a, a community-based reception and they show their artwork for um, a, a couple of weeks, I believe it is. And it is such a gift, not only to the students, but from the students and from Brit to the community. And things like that are just, uh, just have so much value that they, they can't be underscored enough. Absolutely. We have a, a background person. Apologies, <laughs> this is life in COVID. Oh, sorry. No, that's okay. We welcome that on the podcast. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I think she's better now. Okay, but what's her name? Her name is Ginger. She's our golden doodle. And I have to tell you, Michael, um, we joke in this household because uh, Ginger is from, uh, was, was born on a farm in Norwich Walk, Maine. So she is the only true Mainer in our family. <laughs> so she deserved, she deserved the opportunity to have her voice heard in this podcast. There we go. Now we have a proper Mainer. We sure do. <laughs> um, so there is a very strong sense of community as you kind of been talking about there. Um, and one thing that the one of the characters, Willow, says towards the end is that she would never leave such a beautiful place and that it would fall on her generation to make it better. What, what do you mean by that? Can you elaborate on that a little bit? Absolutely. The, this is one of the, the strongest threads that came through in my, the time I spent in the four years that I spent and the countless hours that I spent hanging out with uh, these five uh, remarkable young women. 
that each of them in their own way demonstrated how strong their love of place was and how connected they feel. And I, I believe will always feel whether or not they end up uh, being a, a long-term part of the Downeast community, um, although I believe most of them will, um, that strength of connection to place that they exhibit, that Willow expressed, that is manifested in so many ways in their connectedness to community, in their love of nature and of the stunning surroundings, uh, but also their reverence for nature. And we see that um, particularly in the couple of girls who um, are lobster fishermen. Uh, and and I, I should note for those who, who don't follow this, that, that lobster fishermen is the, is the term that's used universally in Maine for sure for both men and women uh, who fish lobster. Um, but that connection to, to nature um, and, and reverence for its rule. Uh, and the sense that being of down east means something very strong. And there is a pride behind them uh, in even though there are many challenges in Washington County, even though the community that they have all grown up in um, is dealing on a daily basis with job losses and stresses and uh, incidences of interpersonal violence in families and uh, that are far too high. And of course, opioid addiction, which sadly has touched so many communities across the country, urban, rural, or suburban, uh, that despite all those challenges, what Willow expressed in that connection to place and what each of the girls in her own way experienced and continues to continue to experience is something that I believe is not often recognized enough in the dominant narrative of rural America. I think there is, um, there's definitely a resilience and a surprising amount of hope, I think, that really shines through um, that is tied to this sense of community as you're talking about. Um, but it does also seem like it, there is another side to it. Um, you talk towards the end of the book about Sarah Barton, Audrey's grandmother, and how she looks at progress, um, you know, progressivism, and sees that as destroying her traditions, her community, and a lot of this sort of ties into, you know, what we saw in 2016 with Donald Trump being elected, which is sort of why these stories of rural America are really um, at the front of the national conversation at the moment. Um, so what, what do you make of that, that relationship? So I think that, that Sarah, uh, who's Grandma Sarah in the book, uh, and I think that she represents something very powerful and, um, and worthy of deeper discourse. And that is that tension, as you note, between the past and the future, between um, what is, I think in many ways, understandably, 
viewed by older generations as a desire to hold on to something, to that quote, simpler life, to, uh, to the time when you could just, as Sarah would say, you run down to the grocery store and, and, and be free and not worry about uh, so many things that, that present day rural Americans across the country are, are grappling with. Uh, that there is that sort of tension between the older generation's view of what uh, is good and valuable and what the newer generations reflected in these five girls in many ways and others are grappling with as they have one foot a little bit in that piece and another foot in bridging toward the future. And they love and value uh, many of the things that Sarah represents, uh, but they also believe strongly that there needs to be a path forward in order for places like Down East Maine that are so rich in so many ways, non-materially, um, in order for them to continue to thrive and in order for the best parts of Down East and other rural parts uh, to continue to be at the forefront. Um, and I think, it's a, I think it is an important tension. It's important tension to explore. And, um, and it may be uncomfortable for some folks, but I think that for the girls in this book, the young women in this book, um, it is important to push at some of these while still maintaining a respect for those around them and for what is valued around them. So ultimately, what do you hope that Down East, the story of these five girls, adds to the national conversation? I hope a couple of things. I hope, first of all, that readers uh, and folks who take the time to think and talk about the larger themes of, of Down East, I hope that they see uh, the strength and resilience of these young women, and I hope that they celebrate it because the voices of young women in rural America have largely not been heard, particularly the voices of contemporary young women. We have accounts, um, we have one, some wonderful accounts um, from authors like Sarah Smarsh um, and others uh, of, of, or even Tara Westover um, and, and recently through the novelist, um, Elizabeth Wetmore uh, about, about sort of, slightly less contemporary, right? Accounts um, of what it means to be a woman or a young woman in rural America. And those are powerful, but I think there is a, a different voice in contemporary young women's rural America. And that is important. It is critical that their voices be a part of that conversation. So number one, this book was an effort to, to widen the lens and give them that voice. Uh, Number two, I hope that readers will take from this uh, the notion that there is another narrative, that there is a counter narrative that may surprise them of despite the challenges that many in rural America face, that there is reason to celebrate, that there is hope, there is optimism, and that these girls, their families and the broader community in their connectedness and their commitment to their communities are, are, are 
representative of something that is worthy of celebration. Uh, I think that those two pieces in particular are the two pieces that I hope will spark some broader and deeper conversations and add to the narrative and widen the lens in our discussion of rural America. That's great, I love that. Um, I do also wanna say, I'm glad you mentioned Elizabeth Wetmore. She is actually a previous guest on our podcast, so. Well, her novel, Valentine, is extraordinary. And for those who haven't read it, uh, I urge you to pick it up. It is uh, beautifully written, it is passionate, and it will make you cry in the best of ways. Gigi, you're hired for marketing for us. <laughs> <laughs> You've got it. So one more question I have for you, and this is a question that we ask all of our guests on the podcast. Since this is primarily geared towards teachers and their students, who was your favorite teacher? Oh, that is a wonderful question. Um, I have two favorites, but I will, I will because we're on a, on a female theme, I will give you uh, one of them. And that was my history teacher in high school, Susan Bayless. Um, she is um, uh, an extraordinary woman who sh showed me uh, and the others in this class, but certainly showed me the power of history, the importance of it, the relevance of it. Uh, and she particularly taught um, American history and every class with her was a journey. And to this day, I am grateful to her because she also started me on my way to writing through that. And here we are. Uh, well, Gigi, thank you so much for joining us. It's been delightful getting to talk to you. Thank you, Michael. It's been such a pleasure. You're welcome. This was fun, Michael. Thank you. All right. Take care. All right. You too. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of Harper Academic Calling. Subscribe on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, or your favorite third-party app for more episodes. And be sure to visit us at harperacademic.com for more information about this and other great books.